Welcome back to the LED Project Podcast brought to you by Lighthouse Educator Development. This is number 25, and I am very pleased to be in the same room yes. with Mr. Wilkie yes, V. Law. Yes, yes, What's up, what's up, what's up? It's been wonderful these last couple of days, been able to be here in person, live, in living color. We are currently in an Airbnb in Albuquerque, New Mexico, and this episode is going to be just debriefing uh, what we've learned these last two days here and how our presentation of the theory of mentoring relativity went. So do you want to start with what we've learned? Do you want to start with our presentation? Before we get into that, I just have to give a big shout out to Airbnb. Um, uh, this is our second, exp- third experience with Airbnb. The yep. first one was phenomenal. The second one was so-so. We got kind of hoodwinked on that one. Yeah. Um, but we came back again, and the third time seems to be a charm because, I mean, the digs are not bad. I mean, it's really mm-hmm. good environment to be in, good place, solitude, quiet, yeah. peaceful, close to the university. So, yeah. And I big shout-out to Uber, too. Airbnb and Uber, if you're listening... We, somebody's going to have to connect with us because as much as we've used you all in the last couple of days, yeah. maybe you should start yeah. sponsoring something. But uh, yeah. big shout out. My first experience with Uber, it's been phenomenal. Drivers have been very receptive. But um, yeah, so I just had to start with that. Sorry. Yeah, yeah we're, <laughs> we're trying to get hip with the uh, the times and you know using it. But it's it's been great to just uh, be able to be you know, in, in each other's presence. And we still talk a few times a week, but there's nothing, there's nothing like face to face for continuing to, to build that relationship. We had a chance to, uh, have a FaceTime with, with Ben last night. We didn't record it because we were just rapping, having a good time. So, um, but things are good. So do you want to start out with, um, what we've learned or do we want to talk about our presentation first? Let's talk about what we've learned. I mean, that, that's, um, I know some of the sessions, I mean, we went to the sessions together, um, which I like better than splitting up the last time, yeah. Yeah. Um, to be able to debrief as we're going through what's relative to what we're looking at. Um, and looking at the sessions that we've gone to, um, starting out yesterday in the um, in the morning, I mean, from the very point, very, very, very first morning session dealing with peer coaching. And uh, creating and sustaining positive relationships. Um, that experience was just phenomenal. I mean, I think it just reaches in it, it. A lot of it was confirmation of what we already knew, but it also gave us. This, it's given us this global sense that it's not just in our own backyards that this is occurring. And I feel like it was almost comforting to know that we're not the only ones. You know, it, it, you know, you said affirming, but to really feel like, you know, I don't have, we don't have to carry this by ourselves. You know, there are a lot of people who are out there, you know, and it's so strange how the universe works that you run into people on your path. You know, we went to a session today. This is Tuesday or sorry, Wednesday, excuse me. And one of the presenters uh, was from Wilkie's alma mater, uh, Southwest Texas State University. And one of the guys, uh, was originally from the other guy presenting was originally from Wisconsin. So we, it was almost like we had a connection with everybody. We saw two presenters from A and M that were phenomenal, phenomenal and yeah. very receptive and Big really. Shout out to A and M Education Department. There, I, I look forward to seeing what they produce yeah. as far as teachers. It's been, it's it's good to hear that 
the conversation that you and I have is being had in, in higher ed. That yeah. They're seeing a need for that personal uh, touch, that, that relationship building, that those, as they say, those soft skills. Yeah, and let's, I think that's a good place to start in terms of what we learned. Uh, Dr. Hammer and Dr. Rackley from AM were there, and I asked the question because they were talking about pre service teachers, those, those uh, teaching majors and their experiences in the field throughout college. And they were discussing a lot about how there are so many unwritten rules and so many unwritten procedures in education and in a school that a lot of their student teachers don't pick it up. And I asked them out loud, you know, I asked them, do you explicitly make this known to their teachers? And it was the first time I've ever heard people in an education department say, yes, we explicitly say to our pre-service or our students that these are the rules, these are the things you need to understand about going into a school and going into this profession. And that that was really a breath of fresh air to hear that a university is training teachers for what they really need and what's really going on in schools. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, absolutely. I think, it, like I say, it just, yeah, 100%. Um, like I said, big things coming out of Texas A&M. I'm not an Aggie, but I can support what they're doing in education and see how they're connecting. They're trying to connect the pieces of what's going on in the real world and what's happening in theory um, in order to stay relevant. And um, the the session with, with Chad, let's just talk about oh, that. Oh, man. Uh, it amazes me every time to see uh, one person facilitate um, a room of 400 a, a room people of over 400 people engaging in conversation and rotating and moving in a way that's orderly that's that's mindful and be able to facilitate that and bring them back together and continue that facilitation over and over throughout I mean his entire presentation was was really I like the fact that he says he's not he's not the expert in the room because he's standing in front and I think a lot of times as teachers, we, we, we put that in, in effect that because I'm up here, I have the mic. You know, and if I have the mic, that makes me the expert. And no, it doesn't. You know, it, it makes you a participant in, in the experience that everybody else is having. And I think he really nailed that home for, um, for me. Um, and it's good to be remembered, you know, to, for him to remember us and, and the work that we're trying to do with him and... Um, so big shout out to to uh, Chad Littlefield and Will Wise. Bought his book. Ask yeah. powerful questions. Can't I'm, wait to read I'm gonna, it. I'm gonna have to get it as well. And I uh, can't wait to read it and and really get really get that into it because again, it's really about being inquisitive. One of the ladies I spoke with in that session, I asked her what was one thing that um, life was teaching her right now, and she was an older lady, and she simply said to remain curious. Wow. And that blew my mind because. Curiosity is what drives innovation. And I think that when, once we get to that point in education where we're not just satisfied with being a classroom teacher and teaching kids year after year, that we actually begin to become curious about how can I explore different options within my teaching craft? How can I better myself? How can I? And that, that idea of remaining curious just, just, that just was so profound for me. 
Yeah. Um, do you want to talk a little bit about uh, Dr. Debbie Sigliano's presentation on peer-to-peer coaching and, and what, the, especially I'm looking at her handout, what peer coaching is and what peer coaching isn't. Right. I thought that was um, so impressive. No, impressive is not the right word. It was so informative because she talks specifically um, with the framework of peer-to-peer coaching. So Will and I would be an example of peer-to-peer coaching. Mm-hmm. Now, maybe it's a little bit different. I don't know if you would call what you do now peer-to-peer because you technically have a different title than they do. But it still falls under the realm of peer-to-peers. But So let's talk about the first one. She said peer coaching is collegial. It's not competitive. And I think that teachers are super competitive. They'll find competitions out of everything. But it should not be, in a coaching environment, it should not be competitive. It should simply just be what is. And that experience of that. Yeah, and I look at, too, you know, what do you think grades and testing and all that, do you think that impacts competitiveness? Oh, absolutely. I mean, the the, the push to, to, to outdo uh, state standards and to outdo each other, to be the top-tier teacher, to be the teacher with the greatest growth, to be the teacher to reach the... the, the Exemplary or right. distinguished or whatever the, the, the common term is at the time. It's kind of embra- embedded in us. And it's like when you're do- dealing with peer-to-peer coaching, it has to come from a collegial, uh, you know, a... We're going to create our own little colloquium here in order to make each other better. And I think she even hinted on, hinted on that, too, that it's not just for the mentee that, that both benefit from that peer-to-peer coaching environment. Yeah, and that's what we'll talk when we go into Dr. Hammer and Dr. Rackley's presentation about the Advantage Model. That was really good, mm-hmm. too. Um, next one. It's professional. It's not social. And... I'll speak a little bit to this because that was when I went up and um, role played. And she gave the example of in a 30 minute mentoring or coaching session, too many times people will spend 15 minutes being social. And she really stated that in order for it to remain professional, you have to talk about your profession. And that's not to say that in a situation outside of the coaching, like your designated coaching time or when you're meeting with that person, you can't be social. But that meeting itself should not be, you know, us discussing um, what you were wearing or your kids or whatever, whatever that other stuff is that it's got to remain professional. You good with that? All right, so next one. It's specific and not general. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think that goes back to, you know, we were just talking about, even as far as my fitness, creating a SMART goal. That's the first S in the SMART goal, is that it has to be specific. You have to clearly outline what the parameters of a peer coaching is going to be in order for it to work. You can't just generally talk about general generalities, you know. No, be specific and not, um, I don't want to, and, and not be, uh, what's the word I'm looking for, um, judgmental. 
Yeah, yeah. I'm only, I'm only, I'm being specific of what I've seen. I'm being specific of what I've heard. I'm being specific of what I've observed. I'm not saying, oh, generally, you know, you, you know, you look nice while you're teaching. You know that, you know, depending on who you are, you may or may not look nice. You know. And and I think that point comes to, uh, you know, being specific. You have that judgment free where I'm. I'm just observing what I see. Mm-hmm. It's not me giving you my interpretation or my analysis of what it is. It's just being specific uh, about what we see. So let's, I'm going to jump one, but let's, so then let's pick up there with it's reflective versus evaluative. So on, on that point that we were just making about being specific. Mm-hmm. It's, it's ref- I mean, and I try to stress this even as, in my position as a, as, a, as a math skill specialist, is that I don't want to evaluate you. My job is not to evaluate. My job is to come in and help you reflect on what you're doing so that when you are evaluated by your evaluator, you have a better handle of what you're doing. Uh, and I think that in a good peer coaching environment and a, one that sustains those good relationships, you can be evaluated. Who wants to be friends with someone who's going to judge everything that they do and everything that they say and Everything is constantly under the microscope and being evaluated and analyzed and later being synthesized into a thesis that you're going to present to me to say, you can still do better. No. No. Help me to reflect and help me to see what it is. Because if I can help my, if you can help me see flaws that I make, then that's the benefit of that relationship. Not you pointing things out, but you helping me point things out for myself. And, and the example she used was, you know, you point out something that happened or you discuss something that happened in a lesson, and then if I were coaching you, I would ask you, why do you think that happened, or, or what caused that? Mm-hmm. So you are the person who's really doing the discovery. So then let's come down to dynamic versus static. I really thought, I really like of all, I mean, they're all good in the what to do, but the dynamic of understanding that it's always going to be changing mm-hmm. rather than the static of, you know, you set a smart goal, you set a PL professional learning goal or a student you know, SGO or whatever you want to call them. But the, the dynamic nature of a classroom where it's always changing, your coaching should always be changing mm-hmm. rather than, Oh, we're working on the exact same thing. Because at times, the, the nature of the goal will change. Absolutely. And the nature of the need will change because your kids are going to change throughout the year. So I really like that. Uh, from Dr. Debbie Sigliano from Duquesne University out in Pittsburgh. That was really good. Mm-hmm. So then we went to using an advantage model to coach and mentor pre-service and in-service teachers by the ladies from A&M. Um, I can say I was, and we've already spoken on it a little bit, but I thought that they were phenomenal um, being able to put, um, I guess that looking at in a, in, a, in a setting of how to start with these pre-service teachers to get them all ready to start seeing what they're going to face and what they're going to deal with in the classroom to me, it, it just, it sets it, their program miles ahead of what a lot of other programs are doing right now. Yeah. And, and what I really, I'm looking at a couple of their slides too, and it, um, they really were specific about the difference between a mentor and a coach. 
what what the role of the mentor is versus the role of um, the coach. And just to read a little bit about what they wrote, um, whether these mentors are paid or unpaid or whether they are inexperienced teachers, the inexperienced teacher attends professional development, the model is between an individual with more experience and an individual with less experience. And it's really focused on... Um, that, and like you said, those soft skills of learning how to function within the school. And then they describe the coach as more of the person that teaches you or works you with you through, you know, curriculum and standards and dates and setting goals and action plans and that stuff that's actually in the, the day-to-day teaching. I really liked that and the little bit of separation they made between those two. Mm-hmm. All right, so then we went this morning to um, Dr. Duplessis. Do you remember how to say it this morning? The police. The She was fantastic. In the University of Peoria? Yeah. In South in, Africa? In, yeah, right outside Johannesburg, South Africa. Mm-hmm. And we were talking about this a little bit before we came on air. Talk, talk about that, that piece uh, when she discussed the missing link. Well, it's just the, the idea that when you're in a situation where you have a mentor, when you're building your mentor program, that you have to really start looking at. And I love the fact that their study evaluated the, the mentors, it evaluated the mentees, and ask their input, and it was shaped around that input. Um, and I think that's one of the biggest missing links, is that there's very little communication between those two entities. Typically, we get feedback from the mentees to say, okay, this is how we should shape our mentor program, but we really should be having conversation with the mentors, and then bringing those two together and having that conversation. You know, she spoke of that they're getting ready to have a a, cons- a, cons- uh, a consortium, consortium of, of all of these individuals and the public schools and the university officials to bring everything together so that you can kind of get on one page. And I think that communication amongst everything is what is key. And uh, I mean, from hers, I just got a lot of questions, you know, like what is the missing link within our teaching mentorship program? You know, how can teachers develop and translate? How does teacher development translate into student success? You know, I think we don't look at that we, we, we think student success, we automatically think, you know, scores. You know, we don't think of the broader picture of this person being a functioning um, citizen in the world. You know, we don't look at it from that standpoint. But how can having better developed teachers equate to a translate into student success? And what is the perception of the role of a mentor? You know, some people would rather not have a mentor. You have those know-it-alls who who come in and say, oh, I got this. You know, we heard about that from the ladies from A&M. We even said, you know, having someone come in and blatantly tell district officials, you don't know what you're talking about, even though I've only been in the classroom for doing student teaching, I still know more than you. And that's just kind of that experience, you know, it's just what is the perception of the role of the mentor? Do, does everyone respect that same role? You know, and I think we, and it added another question we were talking about in the Uber on the way over here was, you know, does our program need to extend to a third year? And at what point do you say a teacher doesn't need to be mentored? And it raises the question of, 
you know, we should have those mentoring relationships always. And the, you know, the thing that struck me too is you could have set her down in any state in, in America and the story she told about the schools would have fit just fine. Mm-hmm. It's crazy. And that was that one of the things that I even over. commented to her afterwards is that I said, you know, it was good to see that this is a global problem that we're trying to address. And I, I, I big shouts out to UNM and the Mentoring Institute for what they're doing, bringing people together uh, from different, different, different businesses, different sectors in business uh, and education and, and bringing them together to kind of figure out how can we learn from the business aspect to bring that mentoring? Because in business, you're going to get, if you're a junior executive, you're going to have a mentor. You're going to be assigned someone that's going to help you on that upward track to become a senior executive. If you're a senior executive, you're going to have someone that's on the track that's going to help you get to the next level. But in teaching, it's like, we feel like you're one and done. You get this one year of mentoring and then one year done, then you go out and now go forth and, and do what you do. And that's just, to me, I think that we're, we're grossly misappropriating the, the wealth of knowledge that we have within education by not continuing to, to keep our hands on those first year service, first year do teachers. You, do you feel like it's not only accepted that like in business that people are going to mentor, but do you think they have a better understanding like in business that they need a mentor? I think it's culture. So the culture of business lends itself to, lends being, itself to, to being mentored or apprenticed. Or apprenticed, exactly. And we heard that word come up today too. Apprentice yeah. and protege. So, um, yeah, you know, and that's just the question and that also comes to the conversation we were having about how it... it you know, it's it's kind of like the, the tipping point. Like, when you get the tipping point that the dominant culture of education is we are going to mentor every teacher. Well, think about the cost of it. I mean, you, you're, you're talking about an industry that's saying, I'm okay with seeing a three- to five-year rotation of new teachers coming in and three- to five-years of first-year, second-year teachers leaving my program and I'm not going to do anything to address this specifically. And it's costing us hundreds of millions, millions of, dollars of dollars every, every single, single year. year. Every single year. At least ten dollars to $15,000 to, to recruit and train brand new teachers. And you're going to do this, you know, in the thousands. You know, we just heard that one school in uh, Nevada, the district needs 120 teachers for the next upcoming school year. Their school is only going to put out 20 teachers. So what's going to happen to those other 100 spots? That's saying that even if those 20 teachers decide to stay in Nevada to teach. You know, so it's like, when is it going to become such a big problem that they realize that that where education is, the importance and the level of education, where is it on, on, on your totem pole of, of importance? You know, not saying government should come in and take control of it, but government definitely needs to funnel more money into to our future and, and building up to make sure that we're not we're not pipelining the prisons because kids who, who have ineffective teachers, we know I'm a product of it, they're going to leave. They're going to see, and as technology advances, the need for that type of teacher to, to be, as you said, that content deliverer is not there. If I want to know the distance between between London and the United States, I can Google it. It'll tell me the exact, it'll tell me if I walk. If I fly, if I take a boat, it'll give me all of those dimensions of that travel. What do I need a geography teacher for? I can look up the history of ancient Rome myself, and it'll give me a timeline. 
I don't need to create a timeline in class. So what do I need a history teacher for? So we have to go beyond the dimensions of just being content managers and distributors of content to being builders of individuals and edifiers of, of, our, of our future. If not, we're going to be lost. We're going to be lost. And then um, that last presentation we saw by uh, Zach and um, Victoria, Victoria from, from UT Austin, was big shout out to Texas being represented in UNM. Gotta love it, man. Gotta love yeah, it. Um, they talked about this term mentorability. Oh man, I'm gonna have to do research on Dr. Reddick, um, and then mm-hmm. maybe even pay a visit when I take a trip down there. Um, that idea, I don't, I don't think we've ever talked about that. That was an aha for me because we've always talked about the role. I mean, what mentees should get from an environment. From an experience with a mentor, we've talked about what mentees need, but we've never talked about the mentees themselves being mentorable. Are, are you, do you have mentorability? Can't, are you, do you have the ability to be mentored, to be fostered, to be, to be pushed into a growth situation? Mm-hmm. And that, to me, speaks volumes to where, you know, every year we come here, we get a different aha. And I think this aha, to me, was that term. Me too. I mean, and I look at it, you know, going back to that example of, you know, a student teacher going in and telling a district administrator that they don't know what they're talking about. And I think at some point, you know, with whatever the mentoring program is, if a person refuses to be mentorable, like at what point do you cut them off and just say, fine, we're not going to allocate this resource to you. Mm -hmm. And but not just that. I, I like the way that Victoria uh, talked about that, that it's, it's an opportunity. To, it's not a one and done. It's a, it's, it's a growth model. It's a progression to say, you may start out here, but on the, on the flip side, there's some interventions that I'm going to give the mentor to help the mentee to become more mentorable. Yeah. So there's some tools that I'm going to share with them so that they can share with them. And then once, I mean, if you're staying in the beginning stage, over and over and over and over and over. You know, we talked about that, that, that 10 year veteran teacher who's still a first year teacher. You know, you're still having, you're still struggling with classroom management, but you've been in the classroom for, for 10 years. To me, that says that there's something about you that that's not mentorable because apparently either you've never been mentored or you're not receptive to the mentor. You don't know how to be mentored. Right. And I think being mentored is a skill. It's it's an it's another it's just a different form of relationship. Absolutely, and understanding the role of that relationship. Right. And I think in that definition, in that de- defining of a relationship, you understand that my hammer hammers, my screwdriver screws. You, you know what I use mean. Use the right tool at the right time. At the right time. So. All right. So let's move into our presentation. So let's let's just debrief them a little bit on how it went, what we felt like. Um. I think the very first, I mean, the first aha from that for me is we made the decision to not belabor the, um, the idea of, the, of being on the train. All right, so, so explain to our listeners the analogy that we used of the train. Um, well, our, our session was entitled The Theory of Mentoring Relativity, and we kind of took uh, and combined the idea of Einstein's general theory of relativity from 1915 and discussed how, as a, as a teacher, it, Einstein's theory basically says that it's 
how one thing relates to another as they as they move around. And so we were saying the idea of a train being that as as teachers are going through their day and going through everything, what they're experiencing, you're either on the train or you're off the train. You're either observing or you're participating. Or sometimes you're doing both. And we kind of just touched on it and not really went into detail because we knew we were we were short for time. And so we wanted to get into other things and have an open discussion. So, but to have a participant come and say, hey, I really wish you would have spent more time on talking about the train and giving us more information on the train. To me, it just, like I say, it, it, was, a, it was a oops and an aha for us. But so, you know, the nice thing was that she asked the question in the middle of the session. So we were able to round back to it. So, um, but it's, it's hard. And we discussed too that it's really hard in presenting when you don't know who the audience you're going to get is. It's, it's harder to really, and um, I think Zach talked about this in that last session, that it you know when you know your audience, you can tailor the presentation to the audience. Well, it's all about linguistics. Yeah. And, I mean, I would not dare go talk to a group of elementary school te- students the same way I would talk to a group of elementary school teachers. Right. Nor would I talk to a group of elementary school teachers the same way I would talk to a room full of doctorates, doctors. And so... It's just, again, knowing your audience and and in a situation like that, like I say, thinking forward, it's just a matter of making sure that, that we, we, we have a, a audience neutral presentation that, that, that'll flow with anyone. And I think we did not take that into the voice of our, of our presentation. And so, like I say, forward thinking and not can't, can't look backwards, which was one of the other sessions, you know, we can't always keep looking backwards. We have to keep moving forward. We, 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 you know, we have to start looking at that idea of, of, of making sure that when we, when we present, that we create the presentation with, with, the, with a neutral voice and a neutral audience in mind so that we can adapt it when we, if we need to. But I thought we did a good job of spinning it. I thought, you know, it was very well received. Um, the numbers were not what we received last year. I think the title may have pushed people away. Yeah. Because um, even, you know, opening up, I say, you know, I know some people probably gotten, got pushed away by the title, The Theory of Mentoring Relativity. Okay, I don't want to go be be wowed by, you know, a physics lesson, you know, as it relates to mentoring. I want to learn something more, but I, I think that as we develop the theory more and we get more data and we do more research on it, I really think it's going to be something that is going to be groundbreaking and, and change change the game. And and that, that was the big takeaway for me, um, or one of them, I was just so impressed with how much more smoothly we we presented. Now, this is our mm, probably our fifth now that we've done together. Mm-hmm. The dynamic, and, and the, the best compliment we got was you, you two are such dynamic speakers the way you play off of each other. And I really felt like that was um, something that was really good because, you know, there are some aspects to where if one of us presented solo, it would be easier because you would be running that dialogue. But the way we're able to play off of each other, um, I really was, I I was really proud of how authentically we presented both of our stories, both of my struggles at Stellic and your having dropped out in the sixth grade. We really did a good job of building that trust within that. So that was really good. But the, the main takeaway is that the theory of mentoring relativity is not, it's not a one-off presentation. 
it's it's going to be a cornerstone of what we what we practice and what we preach and what we do and um the lady who asked the question also gave us a good idea about how to take the analogy farther with mm-hmm. you know multiple trains and going directions so it's it was really good but um gosh the weather's been phenomenal to be out and to be able to see the mountains to walk around uh, um i was disappointed none of our friends from last year were here but Made some more good connections, and it was all in all a great trip. I'm uh, on my way to the airport, and shortly, Wilkie's got another day. But I'm really, I was really proud and pleased with what we did. Ditto. So, ladies and gentlemen, this is episode 25. Live from Albuquerque. Live from Albuquerque. So, we are going to... Sign off for now. We appreciate you listening. Um, check us out at theledproject.com or on Facebook. We are Lighthouse Educator Development signing out. Peace.